the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. What a fascinating time uh, to be alive. What a set of days. This is one of the great weeks of our republic, and I have to tell you, I'm so excited to be at the center of much of the action, although the action is with we the people. So uh, great to be with you. Ed Martin, again, the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, please go there and sign up for the Daily Wink. What? you need to know what you need to know and um I want to uh, encourage you to get signed up there every morning, 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time. Bam! Email goes out. It's got a few links to uh, some of our uh, my videos on Periscope and Facebook Live and also has uh, some uh, links to some key stories and what you need to know for the day. So you get to start your day off right by getting that in your inbox. And you can start this program off right by knowing right now what you need to know. And in a few moments, I will, um, at the end of the program, I will fill you in on a very interesting interesting um, phenomenon that's occurring on the center right amongst what I would say are thoughtful conservatives, okay, thoughtful conservatives. And um, these are the ones that have not sort of gotten locked in and are not brainwashed. And I'll, I'll fill you in on that experience. All right. But what do you need to know today? What you need to know right now is where we are. In the, in the coming hours, you're going to hear uh, that the uh, Congress is going to uh, uh, get into joint session and begin the process under the Constitution and also relevant laws. There's a law from 1877, I think it was, that uh, governed some of this process. So you're going to have a chance. You're going to see and hear that, and we'll see what happens. Here's what you need to know sort of most importantly. I've told you over and over, the battle for the republic is a battle that has at least three fronts. In fact, there are many more fronts. I don't want to limit this battle to the three fronts, but three ba- three fronts that I see, that I see actively, and within those, maybe there's multiple ones. One is the, the battle over uh, uh, the law, that the law has changed, that the law was violated. What do you do about the laws, right? The second one is the Constitution. How does the Constitution protect us? How is it set up by our founders? How did they put in place the Electoral College, which is a way to check uh, uh, the corruption and make sure things are done right? How did they put in place the uh, the uh, congressional acts, uh, the, the action in the uh, the um, you know when they received the Electoral College, et cetera, et cetera? And the third one is the propaganda the propaganda fight, the fight for information. And here's what you need to know today. The only way you can get coverage of this fight is when the other side or, or, the, or the media generates nastiness. So Senator Josh Hawley had at his home in Washington, D.C., he was atta- his, his home was um, surrounded uh, by protesters. Again, now remember, it's, it's not like they came at noon and stood on the curb and said, hey, we think you're making a bad decision. No, they showed up after dark and they used a bullhorn to yell that we think you're a, a threat to democracy. And then they went up to the door. Now, I think they were wearing masks, but that, they at least say that's because of COVID, but still. And this is threatening. 
This is Antifa and, as he called them, scumbags threatening people. Now, what, is it illegal? Well, it's probably trespassing. And if you remember our St. Louis friends that got trespassed on, they had their uh, guns out and they got in trouble even for just standing their ground. But it's, it's not pr- trespassing. On, it's not a, a crime until you trespass. But once you trespass, it's a crime. It's not a crime when you use your free speech until you threaten people. Now, again, we don't know any of these details for sure because there's no real coverage of the law enforcement didn't swoop in and arrest anybody. They didn't protect anybody. They didn't anything. So and then it becomes a story. So Fox News is finally covering the Josh Hawley thing, but they're not undercover uh, uncovering the underlying issues of the election fraud. The people that weren't supposed to be on the voter rolls, the, the unverified signatures on, on ballots, all these kinds of things, the studies by scientific people, we're told... We're told, follow the science, always obey the science when it comes to COVID. But when you say, um, the scientists are saying these vote totals don't make sense. The scientists are saying this is a compromised system. The scientists are saying this couldn't have happened the way we're being told. And the scientists are not being refuted. It begins to put together saying, um, only use the only listen to the scientists is what they're saying when it's convenient for us. So this is a problem, right? This is a problem and this is a serious set of issues. And what you need to know is don't wait around for the double standard to be pointed out or maintained by anyone in the media or in politics, because the double standard is not it's not. First of all, if you say so-and-so is a hypocrite or so-and-so is a politician, eh, generally the same thing. Meaning they're going to change their mind for politics reasons. They're going to change their approach for politics reasons. And it doesn't, it's not actually, no one, it's like I often tell people when I ran for office, I remember thinking, well, I've never run for office. I'm, I'm a good guy. I've never, my opponent at that time was Russ Carnahan. His family, his brother had received $109 million in tax uh, subsidies for his windmill farm. And I thought these people are really in the swamp and I've never done anything. I've just only worked for a living. Didn't matter. When you were a candidate and people assume this is this is just true. They assume that you're going to uh, sort of be in the system and be of the system. That's what they assume. So it's not a distinguishing characteristic to say, for example, so and so raised a boatload of money from X group. Nobody cares. I mean, they do care. They just assume it's true on both sides. And in the case of of saying that a politician is a hypocrite, a politician or or the media is a hypocritical over Josh Hawley being threatened, or the the D.C. mayor coming out and doing a press conference saying, "I'm calling out the National Guard." Because the Trump uh, supporters are coming to town. This is insane. These people, they should be confronted by the media who says, what are you talking about? There hasn't been violence from Trump supporters. After dark, there's violence from Antifa. We've seen that. And they do it for theater and they do it for sport. But so anyway, but back to my point is what you need to know now is that hypocrisy is not going to be a distinguishing characteristic. And what is a distinct, what is the key thing? It's, it's the truth. It's being not afraid. And I said this earlier on my Periscope, and if you go over to uh, ProAmericaReport.com, you can see link through to that, or go to at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, or on Facebook Live, Ed Martin Live. And you saw me talk about be not afraid. Be not afraid of what's happening and what's coming because you have to, Stand up for what's right for the truth. And what you're going to see in these coming days is people who are standing up for the truth and other people that are not standing up for their truth. They're browbeating people. You're a threat to democracy if you disagree. That's what it's come to. You're a threat to democracy if you disagree. That's striking. It's frightening. It's terrifying, really. 
So what you need to know is, I said this on this Periscope earlier, there's two things you have to do is anchor yourself in the truth and your faith. Of course, the truth is your faith. Uh, the one true uh, thing we know is our Lord and Savior. But anchor yourself, hopefully in your faith, but in the truth. Some people anchor themselves in the truth of the Constitution only and the rule of law only. That's okay. Uh, ideally, you're anchoring yourself in the, tr- in the truth that is the, the way and the truth and the light. But anchor. And then two, build community. And I'm going to talk to you in a minute about Trump supporters because they've been so maligned. I want to do a whole segment on this. Who are the Trump supporters and why does it matter? And we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's what I have to tell you right now for what you need to know is anchor yourself in your faith and the truth. The truth you know to be true, not the truth that the media tries to spin you on, not the truth that the propagandists will try to force you to embrace. And then seek common Uh, understandings with people that believe like you find the community of believers people sometimes it is your church sometimes it's your family but sometimes it's not sometimes it's others in your community and find ways to be bound together that protect you and strengthen you and make it so that you are have solidarity you know, the, the, the inverse of where, you know, two or more are gathered in prayer, you know, this is special, the Lord teaches us. It's also true that where two or more are gathered together, it's a special thing. It's not quite the same thing as prayer, but it, it's different than being alone. And you need to be alone. You need to be alone. You know, you, you, no community is going to save you. No community is going to make you turn to the Lord. You got to do that yourself. But once that's happened, or once you have an anchor, you've got to find those people that will strengthen you because you can't do it alone. And the solidarity you find in stay in say stop the steal, the Jericho marches, other things, it transforms your life. And if you're not getting that in your family or friends or your school or your job, you can still seek it out and find it and do that. Try to. And strive to. And if you need to, you know, direct message me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. Email me at edmartinlive.com or uh, go on Ed Martin Live on Facebook and, and get in touch. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you about who are Trump supporters. Who are Trump supporters? Because they're making it sound like we're aliens. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you both practically who we are and specifically in politics, how it fits together. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. And uh, great to be together again. And uh, let me just walk you through um, what I wanted to start, started to talk about. What exactly, what exactly, who exactly are Trump supporters. And by the way, you can go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and, uh, and track in on, uh, on some all these interviews and sign up for the Daily Wink. Uh, but who exactly are Trump supporters? I, I just had a friend of mine, Congressman Pete Sessions of Texas, Texas 17th Congressional District, come by my office. He's an old friend of mine. I've known him for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. Um, and uh, very good guy. He knows politics. And he's a good, faithful guy. And he's a conservative and all those things. But he knows politics. So we started talking about what, what's going on. And he said, people are totally misreading what just happened in 2020. He said, Pete Sessions said this. He said, the, the people voted for Trump. Trump did this. Trump did all the new seats in the, in the Congress, in the House uh, for uh, Republicans. 
Trump got the energy up, millions and millions of new voters for Trump. And Pete Sessions was saying, you know, the thing that people are misreading is they're thinking that they were clever or their candidacy, which reminds me of a story. The late Phyllis Schlafly used to say that when she ran for office, she ran for Congress twice and lost both times. She said, you learn more from losing a race because, well, she, she said, you learn a lot from running a race because you get a full sense of how it works, what matters, how politicians and candidates feel. You know, at, at heart, every politician, every elected official is a candidate first and they've got to survive elections and they remember that and if you win this is my uh explanation uh not phyllis's words you think you're a genius and so the, the guys and men and women that won for congress in the house republicans they were supposed to lose 10 or 15 seats they won 15 seats something like that they now think they're geniuses because they think well we figured it all out and what pete sessions was saying yeah what what happened was you can get 45% of the vote from for classic Republicans whenever. The question is, what happened in the last few years when the Donald Trump issues, keeping us safe, getting us out of war, economic security, when they kicked in, how did that change the voting patterns? And that's the point, right? That's exactly what's going on. So who are Trump supporters, right? So now think about, now just think about, first of all, from the standpoint of what I would say describing who they are, I would say Trump supporters, the people that feel most motivated for Trump are people who believe And by the way, I don't always say that this is true what they believe, but it's what they believe, right? What people believe is more important than what may be true. But I think it happens to coincide with reality generally. But you get people that'll pick it apart and they'll say, well, Donald Trump wasn't this or wasn't that. So was he really fighting for you? Because what people believe is Donald Trump is the first politician in a long, long time, probably in their lifetime, who they believe is willing to fight for them. They believe he's not in it for himself, even though he likes the attention and all. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the wife. He doesn't need anything. It seems this is what people believe. And so they believe that a man is willing to fight for them against a lot of forces that seem to be interested in others. You get that? People look up and they think Donald Trump is fighting for me and my interest as an American when most politicians are fighting for their interest or some other special interest. They just feel that way. That's who I think the people are. So there's a lot of cross section there. You, you can be it can be people that are men and women of faith who have been watching the pro life movement and saying why haven't we done more. It could be people that are care that care a lot about uh, about small business and they wonder why things are getting stomped out and all. It could be a lot of different categories. It could be the people, but a lot of them are people that maybe didn't care. Oh, this is what I'm gonna tell you. I'm at my office today in Washington D.C. and co- comes by four young guys. Uh, Anthony Kern is one of them. You heard him. He's a state rep, a retired state rep, young guy, though, maybe 50 from Arizona, brought with him three other fellas. I think two are cops and one's a fireman. And Anthony Kern himself is a former cop. So you have four guys who are in their 40s, maybe early 50s, and they're cops and they're firemen and they love this president. What is that? Did they wake up and say, what I really want is a president who understands that tariffs against China won't cripple the country? I'm not sure they cared. Or knew. Maybe they did. Do you think there were people that stood up and said, oh, you know what? I really want is somebody who will understand that you can't do forever wars. It'll drag on. Do I want somebody who thinks I'm I'm not going to piss off uh, dictators? I'm going to try to get along with them because I want to tamp them down. I don't know if they thought any of that. Maybe. Maybe some part of it. Second Amendment, maybe they care about. Maybe they care about, um, you know, uh, uh, um, lower in taxes because they have business. You know, they got um, their relatively middle income, you know, lower middle income. I don't know. All different things. But what they feel is that Donald Trump is fighting for them. 
And so back to my observation or back to my conversation with uh, Congressman Pete Sessions of Texas's 17th district. And he says to me what they're missing up in the halls of Congress They think they figured out that they were clever. They messaged right and all that. And he said, no, you get 40 to 45 percent of the Republicans. I mean, of of an electorate is always going to vote Republican. They'll see it. They'll feel it. They know it. But you get to the MAGA, you get the MAGA plus by talking to people about being on their side. And I think he's right. And one of the reasons Congressman Pete Sessions says is he's going to fight till his last uh, breath in the Congress on these objections is because the people, the president deserves it to be fought for, but so do the people and the people. Again, it doesn't matter actually what the whole truth is. It matters that the truth for so many Americans is that Donald Trump fights for them and they want people that fight for him. That's the game changer. That's the the X factor. That's the MAGA factor on what's going on. And, you know, we're watching this down in uh, in Georgia. How do you motivate people? And you saw the president's massive rally on uh, Monday night, just huge crowds. And people are drawn to the guy who's fighting for them. And so we're going to see what happens, what plays out in the next few days and over the next two weeks before the 20th of of January. Uh, But that's who Trump supporters are. I used to say it like this. We feel like there's Team America, and you could be a black guy on Team America. You could be a a Hispanic woman on Team America. You could be an Asian uh, uh, married couple. You could be a a single uh, bachelor, you know, living uh, living the uh, La Vida Loca in uh, in, uh, uh, wherever, right? You can be all different categories. You can be LGBT. You can be uh, Amish. And people thought, felt, when they heard this man speak, He's on my side. I'm, I'm on Team America. I don't want to be hyphenated. I don't want to be categorized and hyphenated. I just want to know that Team America, that the, the whole of Team America, if you're on the team, if you're not on the team, if you're an Iranian despot, if you're a North Korean jerk, if you're a, uh, a, a, you know, a, a non-American, you have a different quality for the head of Team America. It doesn't make you worse. It just makes you not American. And for Team America, the team captain, the coach, the guy who's for Team America was like, I'm going to do everything I can to lift up Team America. If you're here illegally and you're not an American, it's not that you're bad. We all know that. We all know this, this, this trick. They try to make you morally judge. I don't judge anybody. I'm saying we have an obligation as a nation to stand up for each other first. It's not America first because others are never. It's just if your priorities are off, I often tell the story. If you drive home from work, park in the driveway and hand all your money to your neighbor and your own family begins to starve, that's not generous. That's disordered. If you come home and you give your family first and you say, my family's solid, my things are solid, I'm going to give something to my neighbor or my church or whatever, that's called ordered. That's called having priorities. This president gave our people a sense that he understood the priorities that we shared. And that's what Congressman Pete Sessions was saying when he was saying, you're going to misread this if you think you just messaged right on something this or that. In terms of what happened in this country, what's happened is people reacted to someone who was on their side. Job security, less wars, all these kinds of things that the America first attitude, cutting regulations, getting people off their back. Here's one. I think those cops and firemen stop by my office just for fun. They're for Trump. 
This president said, I'm not going to be ridiculous. We're going to support the men and women in the military. We're going to overpay them if we have to. We're going to give them more than they need to protect them. We're going to be for the cops, for the first responders. Our priorities are in order, not disordered. And the American people got it. And going forward, the the message is not we won elections and uh, we think we're smart. It's why do those Trump supporters, the Trump America, why do they relate to us as a nation and in politics to a party and a candidate? And what do we go do going forward? So thank you, Congressman Pete Sessions, for a great conversation that really triggered that, made me think to talk to you all about it. So that's who Trump supporters are. They're members of Team America. They love Team America. All right, we'll take a break. We come back. We got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you very right after the break. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. All right. I want to cover something that um, in a full segment here to talk about political correctness and how frozen our society is by the political correctness movement and how dumb it is. And first, I want to give you an example that's in the news from my old hometown in St. Louis, Missouri. And I have to say first, this is a lawsuit uh, that's publicly known. So there's not been a defense of it. But first of all, let me say, in my hometown in St. Louis, there is a very elite historic school named Villa Villa Duchenne, Catholic Girls School. It has within it, actually, a famous school called City School, run by the same order of nuns. um, That's where the late Phyllis Schlafly went, which I know about. But my daughter went to Villa Duchenne for a couple years. And it's a beautiful campus uh, in St. Louis County, very serious academics and all. But we were there a couple years. You start to wonder, um, is it getting politically correct? And the lawsuit um, is by a student, 18 years old who says that one of her classmates, I assume the person is black, accused her of being a racist uh, in part because she had on her computer a Blue Lives Matter, uh, a Blue Lives Matter sticker, you know, one of those flags that has a thin blue line in it, I think. And um, so there's a whole lawsuit that describes how the principal talked about uh, how all white people are racists, which is totally plausible. You can expect to hear liberal teachers and people talk like that, right? That's the way they do it. And on and on and on. Now, here's the real problem. I don't know whether it's an actual discrimination lawsuit. It sounds like the child is 18 years old and was made pretty miserable by it. You know, all the other girls were saying she was racist. I don't know. Whatever. I'm not sure. Again, it's an, it's an allegation in a lawsuit. I know enough to know that usually they're false. Or not usually they're false. They are, unsubs- they are uncountered. There would be an answer from the other side. It could be the person making the claim has got her own problems and all that. I don't know. But in a world where Facebook has, I don't know, more than 30 genders, where the book on transgenderism, which I've talked about so many many times, Abigail Schreier's book, um, has been sort of, um, what do you call it, uh, shadow banned on places uh, to buy because it talks about transgenderism as deeply, actually, she talks about it like it's a cult and that it's damaging to girls. And she's not even a total conservative. She describes herself as pretty liberal on LGBT issues, but on transgenderism, she said it's targeting young girls and it's terrible. Well, her book is, she's been vilified for it. And now you have the United States House of Representatives, which are the, 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 their prayer on the opening day is a, an African-American minister who finishes by saying, and we say, amen, a woman. 
which is just silly, right? It sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit. It's something that a high schooler would do. Amen, a woman. They're not even related. The amen, the word amen is not related to gender at all. But be that as it may, at the same time, you have the House of Representatives saying in their rules they're going to limit the use of gender and, and father and mother and sister and brother and all these kinds of things. And here's the point. The point is, we've, we've not sort of, we've lost our way in understanding how silly this stuff is. And at a certain point, the phrase that I use, the scent, the word I use, and the phrase is we have a lack of confidence. There's a lack of confidence in who we are and what we're about. And once other people feel it and sense it and smell it, it becomes kind of a free-for-all. And you're, you're led, uh, led around by this sort of woke culture running in circles. So there was a lengthy piece on Substack, which is the sort of website of newsletters. Matt Taibbi, who's a liberal, wrote for, uh, I don't know, Rolling Stone or Mother Jones or maybe both. And, and he talked about a professor at NYU who's an other liberal who's in trouble however because he talked about how he thought that the imposition of masks was uh, for sickness for cover you know covid was over the top and how he and this is the key thing you take one problem and you position it as related to the other problems that no one wants to be near. So you say, in this case, the mask question. Oh, you're not listening to science, and and you're also um, you know falling into the, the the other people that don't listen to science are are racists and fascists and Nazis, and you lump them together. And you and, and at the end of it, the complaints Matt Taibbi catalogs it in his piece against this NYU professor basically says that the the complaining uh, colleagues in the profession say. We don't believe that there should be sexism and white supremacy and racism, and we oppose that in every way, and we oppose this professor who was uh, going against science. If you see the trick they do is they apply all that stuff at the same time that they're making an argument about one other thing. And that's happening across the board. So in the interest of being respectful to other people... Uh, African-American who has an interest in Black Lives Matter, again, if that's what that person's into, then you go all the way the other way and make people's lives miserable. It's a lack of confidence. And now, I hate to go back, it's like a broken record, but earlier in the program I was saying, how do you beat that back? How do you, how do you get confidence? You know, confidence comes from understanding where you fit in the equation, where you fit in life. The best way to do that is with a grounding in something whether it's morality, family, faith, it tends to be most effective if it's faith. But in Western culture, it's been a lot of the things that are surrounding you in your society, your family. So around the individual, you have the family, you have schools, you have church communities, you have uh, associations in America. You know, when de Tocqueville came and wrote about America and in, in, uh, democracy in America, he talked about how there was this incredible uh, preference in America for associations, meaning the, 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 the JCs and the um, Kiwanis and all these different things. And so around us, Boy Scouts, around us, Little League uh, all these things, Girl Scouts too, all, all these things, around, built around us as things that held us in positive kind of constraints that supported us and gave us confidence to know who we are. You, you know, if you talk to someone from a certain era, maybe say the 1950s into the 60s, and I'm not talking about the values of that time or the work or whatever, there was an association with your school, 
people came from schools and they felt, I mean, high school and earlier even, they came from Southwest High School in Kansas City. That's where my father-in-law or in South City, they came from, uh, you know, uh, certain schools that had a certain had a certain solidity in people's lives. Slew High in St. Louis or whatever. You got to get the idea. Somehow we've lost both the institutions themselves and an interest, a desire, at least expressed, to be tied to these things. And part of it is because the earliest, you know, one of the earliest associations is our family. And so many of them have been disrupted by life. You know, the no-fault divorce and all these different things. And um, so as you watch that and you see this woke culture sweeping across, the problem is... It destroys institutions and you don't get them back. So it's very rare to have a Villa Duchenne descend into political correctness and wokeness and kind of emerge on the other side renewed. It just kind of the trend line is the wrong way. And that's what I think a lot of people are feeling and wondering about in the culture. So, you know, as you're watching these things, very important to reinvest yourself in these institutions around you, whether it's your family or your church or your Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, whatever version of that, you know, some people are in other things. Uh, find those ways to get those institutions a part of your life. Uh, I'll talk more about this another time. All right, let's take a break. When we come back. We'll uh, wrap things up. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Most Americans realize that we need police officers to keep our community safe. Despite the defund the police efforts of the left-wing Democrat Party, the majority of Americans intuitively know that when things go wrong, we need to be able to call in someone trained in the law and carrying a firearm. Personally, I don't think the pundits and politicians bowing to the defund the police movement are ignorant enough to really believe what they're saying. In fact, it seems like leftist leaders are more likely to call in the police than anyone else. Take, for example, the case of Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. She pushed for massive police budget cuts under the banner of defund the police. Yet she called the police to respond to a driver on the popular rideshare platform Lyft. The driver chose to cancel the ride when Hardesty allegedly became irate at him. The driver asked her to exit his vehicle at a gas station, so she called the police on him for the crime of telling her to get out of his property. The police justifiably sided with the Lyft driver and told her to get out of his vehicle. The Portland City Commissioner is not the only liberal with an itchy 911 finger. Alyssa Milano is a leftist pundit who has been an outspoken advocate of defunding the police. Yet Milano's husband became a laughingstock for calling the police on what he claimed was a 40-year-old gunman on the loose. Droves of officers responded, only to discover a teenager hunting squirrels with a toy gun. It looks like the Milanos don't think the police are evil after all. Left-wing politicians and pundits may think the police are only around to chase teenage squirrel hunters. But plenty of Americans living in impoverished, crime-ridden communities call the police about real threats every single day. Empty platitudes and broken promises are not going to take care of law-abiding citizens in crisis. If we want to help the poor, we need more good police officers with the tools and training to take on any situation that comes their way. 
In turn, we should also stand up for these brave officers when they unjustly come under leftist scrutiny. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, you can find, follow, and share our work on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to have you here. Great to be together. Great to have you listen to the show. And don't forget, if you have uh, any need to go back and listen to any of these great segments, you can do so over at ProAmericaReport.com. And you can always listen, of course, to the program live on The Answer San Diego, our great Salem radio uh, network uh, station there, The Answer San Diego, and uh, TheAnswerSanDiego.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and all the rest. All right. Let me uh, finish by telling you a quick story. It, it's shocked me in its simplicity and and i'll tell you why now you may remember and listeners close listeners to the show remember that i did a stint at cnn so in 2016 when my book came out with the late phyllis schlafly the conservative case for trump it made the new york times bestseller list that's true but it also launched me into a series of media appearances and for a period of time i was being put on as a kind of talking head on every network fox msnbc uh, lots of overseas ones bbc and Sky News, I guess not BBC, is it Sky News and whatever the BBC version is, RT America, the, the Russian television, Israeli TV, all different. I would I would basically take any booking and I was in a sweet spot because they wanted people who would talk about Trump and talk with some substance about what we thought he would do and all the rest. So about halfway through the summer... In 2017, I was on CNN on a Friday night, and I was on in Anderson Cooper's slot, and the producer came in my ear, and he said, I'm in, I'm in St. Louis, and I'm, you know, you have a producer in your ear, and he says, hey, that was a good segment. Can you stay for another segment? But it's going to be after the top of the hour. So when you're doing these segment hits, is there seven minutes or so? When someone says over the top of the hour, that means you basically have to wait from about 55, you know, 8.55 at night until probably 9.55. As I recall, you know, I think it was that time of night for that show, at least in Midwestern time. So I, I texted my wife. I said, I think I better do this. It's in CNN. You know, a lot of people watching them. Anyway, I stayed on. And at the end of that, the producer then said, thank you. And I said, by the way, would you ever come up to, to New York and be on the show in person? So I said, yeah, maybe. And they flew me up. So I started flying up. They flew me up twice. And then they offered me a contract to be a contributor. And I jokingly say I filled the Jeffrey Lord uh, memorial seat of Trump defense because Jeffrey Lord was on CNN for about a year. He got fired for a tweet that they said was, I think they said it was anti-Semitic or something. It was silly. It was a hit job. But it was a preview of what's to come for me. Anyway, I got hired and I started in September of 2017. I lasted till January of 2018. And they would fly me up and I would be on four nights a week sometimes for a full segment, full hour hour segment, not just a segment, a full hour uh, with Anderson Cooper and sometimes Don Lemon and other things. And so while I was up there, I would spend the day and they put me in a hotel and I'd spend my day working out of the hotel and, and the evenings on the show. And my point here is I learned a lot about that business and I watched it deteriorate into the real fake news. 
But one of the things I really didn't even realize until two days ago, when Armstrong Williams, the well-known writer, commentator, but also producer of television, he has his own television show, and he owns, I think, television stations, a couple of them, and he's kind of a, a, a successful entrepreneur of various fields. He called me up and he said, will you come on my show? And not only did I get a full, I think it was a full half an hour of discussion with a, a, an opponent of me, a guy named Bruce, I think it's fine as his last name, but Armstrong let it go. He let us actually talk. And after it was over, I thought to myself, that's the first time in eight weeks that I've been allowed to have on a major television show a full conversation about what I thought about the Constitution, about the voter fraud, about where it was going, about why it mattered. In fact, uh, Armstrong and I had a good exchange, and I went by his, uh, he's a, he has an office in Washington, D.C. I went by there, and we did a Facebook Live on his uh, Facebook Live with his uh, viewers and answered some questions and all. But my point here is, Armstrong was confident enough, and I don't think on this issue, he's been a supporter of President Trump in general, but I think he's also had criticisms of him. But on this issue, I don't think Armstrong has been particularly uh, in favor of, you know, fighting to, to to stop this election. I think he's been kind of like, hey, you know, you lost the election. And he was telling me that a lot of his viewers are like, hey, we want someone who stands up more. Anyway, my point here is gone from the scene in this current environment is any real chance for serious conversation. And so Armstrong Williams, half an hour he gave me and an, an opponent was the first time I've had that length. Usually you get a little hit. And I don't even get much of a hit anymore. Even Fox News doesn't do a seven-minute segment on the election fraud in any real serious way on the conversation about why, letting you make the arguments. My point in telling you all this is we are losing something particularly important when our media doesn't allow this back and forth, this uh, in-your-face discussion. And it was respectful. You know, at CNN, they used to put me, I was like one guy, there'd be three people who were anti-Trump, and Anderson Cooper, who was relatively anti-Trump. I mean, he was anti-Trump, but he liked to let the, the, the people at the uh, table discuss it at that time. He's a little bit more direct now. But even then, that was kind of fun. And what the CNN producers told me was they were dialed testing every single segment and and the segments with me were performing astronomically well because you got to have a, a villain and you got to have give and take you can't you can't simply oh you can now most of the time the media just does their slant and the other side is crazy and they move on at the, and at the very most they have somebody say the craziest positions the craziest sounding language of the people on the opposite side and then you go away saying oh yeah those people are crazy when for me, on Armstrong Williams' show, it was a discussion. It was spirited. I think I kicked the guy's tail. He probably thinks he kicked mine. But I think the people got a discussion that was not only respectful, energetic, serious. I think it was kind of meaningful. And we're losing that because the business model of the fake news media and big tech is make people hysterical, get the dopamine hits, they'll stay with you, they'll stick with you, and they'll be stuck on you. That's their business model. That's the truth. They don't chase, they're not chasing anything like meaningful dialogue. Nobody, if they tell you, oh yeah, we're looking for, they're lying because their business model, CNN's business model is not meaningful dialogue. It's dopamine hits, energetic pops that keep their people, their 30% of the country that are brainwashed by CNN, keep them brainwashed. And by the way, similarly over at Fox, 
where they spend all their time talking about Hillary Clinton's email still and Benghazi again on all things that were atrocious. But you're dealing with hits, dopamine hits. And, and the, the biggest purveyor, the biggest um, 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 uh, participant in this is big tech. They're living on social media for pops, dopamine hits. Oh, I like, like, dislike, retweet, you know, troll, bang, 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 boom, boom, boom. Nothing like the 30 plus minutes on Armstrong Williams' show. We need to have more of that. We got to have more of that. Anyway, that's my point. I want to share that with you. And I'll get this segment from Armstrong Williams' uh, uh, staff and I'll put it up uh, on the social media so you can see. I think it was a great discussion. Like I said, I think I won, but I mean, I'm probably a little biased. So, all right, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, listen into other interviews, and get more, I think, helpful dialogue there. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin. Thank you to Noah, our technical director, Joanna, for booking our guests, and you for listening. Be back tomorrow. Ed Martin right here on the ProAmerica Report. Talk to you then. This is the ProAmerica Report on The Answer, San Diego.